0: Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. My guest for this episode is Ethan Rowland, a permaculture designer and founder of Appleseed Permaculture. Along with his writing partner Gregory Landwa, Ethan is the author of the article Eight Forms of Capital, as well as the book Regenerative Enterprise, which expands on the ideas of the original piece. You can find that first article and order the book from 8 the number 8 forms.org or by following the link in the show notes. Ethan and Gregory's work on the eight forms of capital is one of the pieces that most influenced my perspective on permaculture beyond the landscape and the different ways we can engage the various aspects of our lives to live and practice more fully what it is we love. Though financial capital is often the focus and in the current system we do need money to live, there are many ways we can create abundance in our lives beyond that one form. But I'll touch more on that after you've heard Ethan speak about the Eight Forms and Regenerative Enterprise. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that I'll be on the road to Roanoke, Virginia, October 20th through the 22nd, 2014. And on the 21st, I'll be at the Roanoke Natural Foods Co-op at Grandin Village at 6.30 p.m. for a lecture on permaculture. If you're in the area, I would love for you to join me. October also begins my fall fundraising campaign, to prepare for the projects and programs that will be coming in 2015. Your contributions help to cover day-to-day expenses, like renting server space and equipment repairs and upgrades, as well as hiring photographer John and Lane to take pictures and help cover events, and provide me a modest salary. If you're in a place to make a financial contribution to the show, please do so by going to www.thepermaculturepodcast.com. Any amount helps and is greatly appreciated. Now then, On to Ethan Rowland. I'll join you afterwards with how the eight forms of capital have influenced my work. Then Ethan, if we could begin by discussing the eight forms of capital, and that will lead us into regenerative enterprise. And then we can wrap things up by talking about the upcoming carbon farming course.
1: That sounds great. Thanks, Scott, for having me on again. So the eight forms of capital actually was developed years ago. It started in 2009 at the initial financial permaculture courses that were hosted in Tennessee. And as we were, those courses were really amazing workshops. It was a bringing together one of the first times that a whole group of permaculture folks got together with a whole group of investors and financial analysts and just business people and accounting people and started to look at what what would it be like if we learned a bit about what each other does, learned a bit about permaculture ecosystems, regenerative agriculture, but then also learned a bit about how money works and flows in the world and took on together the task of redesigning our financial system so that it looked more like an ecosystem. So those courses were really amazing and they continue to this day, evolving and, and really focusing more on entrepreneurship, and that's, it's excellent. There's still really great courses that are happening. At those initial financial permaculture workshops, we began to notice and think about that everybody was talking about money and capital, but that money really is the it's only one form of capital. We realized that there are all these other things that we're constantly working with and transacting with and trading and exchanging amongst each other that are not just money. And so Gregory Landway and I set out to make a map that showed, well, what, what are the different forms of capital that are out there and how are they working and flowing in our systems? So that was really the, the genesis of the eight forms.
0: And your original article on this that's posted at AppleseedPermaculture.com is something that I've shared around quite a bit because when I was first exposed to this idea, and I don't remember where it was at this point in time but that this really helped to take the idea of permaculture out from the landscape and allow me to think of the ways that permaculture and capital apply to more than just the financial system as well that there are more options beyond capitalism
1: absolutely and i think i think it really it takes this idea of design and the opportunity that every moment can be designed, every entity, every anything can be designed using the same basic permaculture design process. So, you know, if we're designing landscapes, that's great. But what if we also use it to design businesses, to design relationships? And the A-Forms of Capital really helps us to step out of the standard permaculture design Process which is very focused on landscape and gardens, which is great. It's really useful to design that stuff and learn how to design that stuff. But I believe that what we're actually doing in permaculture design when we're designing landscapes is training ourselves and working with each other and developing our capacity and capability as human beings to design the more complex, more important human social systems. That are actually running and defining the current world that we live in, and so the a forms of capital is an incredible lens. It's a framework to think about and do that. It doesn't. It doesn't provide answers. I would say models often work to to provide answers. But we think of the eight forms of capital as a as a framework. So it's a lens through which you can view the world, through which you can view whatever project you're working on and get new insights about how to move forward. And I really have to thank my mentor, Carol Sanford, who's helped me understand the, the difference between a framework and a model and really show me how frameworks can be the most potent tool for regenerative design and development.
0: How does that distinction between a framework and a model impact your work?
1: There's no such thing when we're working towards actual, for actually aiming beyond sustainability and towards regeneration, towards healing and repairing the ecosystems and the human social systems of the world. If we're aiming towards that, we can't just pull out some checklist or some set of predetermined answers that have worked somewhere else And apply them to a new place or a new situation or a new business. It just won't work. If what we're seeking to do is regenerate living systems, then we have to understand and work like living systems do. And they're constantly vital and new and fresh, and they're never the same thing. There's no single plant that is the same as any other single plant in the world, just like there's no human that's the same as any other human in the world. So, you know, predetermined set of answers, which models sometimes seek to give just won't won't work that's why you know the lead checklist for buildings you know it's a checklist and it and it doesn't actually create true sustainability if we had a million lead buildings in the world we wouldn't be sustainable and so we need something that doesn't necessarily have answers but actually provides a a sort of a spark for us to think anew about whatever design challenge that we're facing that's what a framework does that's what the eight forms of capital can offer.
0: With that idea of the eight forms of capital, could you walk us through what those eight concepts are and how they impact this idea of regenerative industry?
1: Sure, absolutely. I think one thing to notice is that capital in general can be in the form of equity or debt, and it's really interesting to look at and see the differences between these different forms of capital especially because some of them are more effective as debt than as equity but i'll touch on each of them uh, and go through the framework so we generally like to start thinking about social capital so social capital is influence and connections. It's the relationships between people. It's like the actual soup that we're swimming in in human relationships in the world. And social capital can be very potent and powerful. Often, I've even seen it many times be more useful than financial capital, more effective at creating change. So social capital, and I already spoke to financial capital. So this is money. This is currency. Securities, as it gets more complex, you can kind of build it up on itself and it gets into investments and mutual funds and bonds. These are all based off of this kind of sort of basic sense of money or currencies. And financial capital is the current capital that dominates the world and defines how everything is run. The flow of financial capital determines what happens. It determines who's in power, determines who's making the rules. And overall, that power, it seems to tend to want to create more and more and more financial capital. And this is sort of one of the the big, seems to me like one of the big fallacies or myths of the current day is that we have the ability to infinitely grow the amount of financial capital in the world. And that infinite growth mentality is part of what continues to destroy and degrade one of the other forms of capital, which is living capital. Some people call it natural capital, but uh, we chose to call it living capital because well, there are some other books that were written on natural capital that are not as deep in terms of regenerative thinking and sustainability as we wanted to go. And when it's living capital, I immediately get the sense that it's it's alive, it's growing, it's, it's it has the potential to create health and vitality and well-being. So living capital... Really, the basis of that is in the soil. It's the carbon in the soil. It's the organic matter that makes life live in the soil. It's the the water. It's the animals. It's the plants that really really we depend on. We write in the book that human beings survived for hundreds of thousands, millions of years without the New York Stock Exchange, without financial capital in that form, and yet we won't last more than a couple days without water and food. So living capital is really the, the foundational pool upon which we all depend. Emerging from living capital, often you know taken from living capital, sometimes taken from the ground itself, is what we call material capital. So this is raw materials like lumber, like stone, uh, like metal ores. And this material capital can be complex, can be built up on itself to create much of What, at least in the United States of America and other parts of North America, we live and move around in day to day. This is vehicles, this is the buildings, the structures, this is infrastructure, uh, and all that at the base is this material capital. Two other forms of capital that it's useful to think about and tease out are intellectual and experiential capital. Intellectual capital is knowledge. It's ideas. It's concepts. It's book learning. It's things that I read or I know in my head or someone told me. It's these ideas that flow and work. And a lot of business right now is built up on these complex sets of intellectual capital. They call it intellectual property. But a lot of the computer world and the internet is really built up on these forms of intellectual capital. Intellectual capital is great. It's very useful but it's not in and it of itself. It sometimes it can't really lead to sustainability or to the growth and development of living capital because it's all really in our heads. And so, in order to go from intellectual capital into experiential capital it takes time. Experiential capital is our it's our embodied know-how, our, our wisdom of how to connect with and do things with our hand. It's our ability to to grow a garden, not just read a book about a garden. Or, you know, I, yeah, I can't just read a book about Cobb building and then think that I know how to build a cob house. I have to transform that intellectual capital into experiential capital by actually doing it. And so these flow back and forth between each other. In fact, there's flows between all these forms of capital. One other form of capital that we articulate is one that isn't usually included. There are other maps out there that have different forms of capital, but this one, for whatever reason, is usually left out. This one is spiritual capital, and we think about spiritual capital in many different ways. Some religions actually have specific ideas about this. For example, karma is a form of spiritual capital that can be developed and held and grown even through multiple lifetimes. Faith, the ability to be present. This is the this is spiritual capital, and some cultures actually have a sense of spiritual debt, like the Tutu Hill Mayan in uh, what's now Guatemala, have uh, the awareness and understanding that. They are born into this world with a huge, weighty spiritual debt, and that their life is spent in creating beauty and really growing the health and vitality of living social capital to repay this great spiritual debt that they're born into the world with. I also saw a book recently, just thinking about that debt piece. I saw a book that came out fairly recently that's called Debt, and it's actually an exploration of the last 10,000 years, it's sort of a human culture, psychology, anthropology book, but it looks at the role of debt, not just in financial debt, but in social debt, and how that is actually the real frame, the real thread that weaves people and communities together. And all of the seven that I've mentioned so far, social financial, living, material, intellectual, experiential, and spiritual capital. These are forms that can be held and developed and and grown by individual people. The last form of capital is different. We call this one cultural capital. And cultural capital is one that can really only be held by groups or communities of people. And cultural capital is the held stories, the myths, the ability of a group of people to step into song or ceremony together. This is cultural capital. And unfortunately, cultural capital is one of the things that is being most quickly degraded and devastated by the current growth of financial capital at all costs business world. And, you know, we're not only facing a huge uh, extinction of species of plant and animal species on the planet, but we're also facing the extinction of languages and the cultures that fed those languages and lived along with them. So I think that refocusing our efforts in permaculture and in any form of design that aims towards sustainability or better yet, regeneration is required to Aim to grow, especially living capital and cultural capital. It's great to grow social and spiritual capital along the way. Those will definitely be effective. But if we can really help nurture those four, we call those the four nurture capitals, that's what's going to lead us back into regeneration. The pendulum has swung way too far towards financial capital, material, and intellectual capital, and it needs to refocus on growing the health of the living and cultural systems in which we live.
0: That idea of debt and equity is one of interest to me because of the way that many people will assume large amounts of debt in order to build or grow a business currently. Using the eight forms of capital and looking at moving towards regenerative enterprise, Which of the forms of capital do you see as being the ones most likely to accrue debt in order to make this transition in the current model?
1: That's a great question. Social capital, definitely. I think that getting into debt to those people that you know and trust and love and growing bigger webs of social debt is a great idea. Even, you know, even if it's not the people that you like or want to go into business with, even if it's just with your neighbors, right? I live kind of in a rural place and some of our neighbors are um, actually like a, a hunting camp. And we have really had a great time getting into debt with them. They help us out when there's a big snowstorm. We've developed this trade with them where they're hunting, but they don't do anything with the skins of the animals that they, that they kill. And so they bring us their skins. And so we take their skins and when I say we, this is my wife and I and some of our community here, and we actually tan the skins and process them into this beautiful fabric, into buckskin or into leather. And then we return that leather. Plus we bring some interest. We bring one of our rabbits that we raise and slaughter, or um, we bring some food that we've grown in the garden and we give it back to our, our neighbors who are hunters. So I think that growing social debt, even in places where you might not think you want it, is definitely a good idea. Other forms to develop debt. You know, it's been useful for me to, from time to time, go into financial debt. I can see the value of it, especially as the community of financial permaculture investors and business people grow. There's more and more of an opportunity to get into financial debt to people who have the same values and same visions for the world as you do. And so more and more, I'm actually taking my money and investing in other startup permaculture businesses and helping them get things going. And at the same time, I'm going out there and asking for investment into larger Permaculture inspired enterprises that have a great potential for large scale regeneration, but for which I haven't uh, accumulated the financial capital to start on my own. I can give you an example there. I've started and have run Appleseed Permaculture for almost, boy, it's, yeah, almost 10 years now. And that's a really excellent, wonderful permaculture design firm that is working at a very professional level you know, doing farm designs for anywhere from 300 up to 1,200 acre farms Um, that's doing, you know, residential and urban and educational permaculture designs. And it's great, but I'm always looking for this, this leverage point. I'm always looking for this place where I can do greater good with, you know, a smaller amount of time and affect a larger number of people for the longest amount of time. And so one of the places that I've headed is an enterprise that's called regenerative real estate. And there are a couple of different uh, business models within regenerative real estate. But one of the primary things that we're looking to do is purchase degraded farmland and then repair it using carbon farming and other scaled up regenerative agriculture and permaculture practices. And in so doing, increase the living capital value of the land, increase the financial capital value of the land, and then with the regenerated land, return it to productive use, whether that's sale or lease to an organic farmer, whether that's putting that into the hands of uh, an eco-developer who's going to develop 5% of the land and leave the rest for an organic farm. And so to do that requires In this current day and age, a significant amount of financial capital to purchase degraded farmland and run the regeneration processes needed to actually increase the living capital of the place. To do that, I'm going out and I'm asking people, I'm asking to get into financial debt with some people who share this vision in order to move things forward.
0: Thank you for that. It's something that Mark Shepard mentioned in an interview that I did with him is about needing to be able to leverage different pieces of the system in order to grow out of the place that we are
1: absolutely yeah we've got to look for those leverage points and currently one of the leverage points for for moving things in the world strangely enough is financial capital and i think that i've i've noticed that a lot of people in the environmental community in the activist community in the climate change community in the even in the permaculture community have been sort of Anti-business and anti-capitalism, and I totally understand that because I was I was there too, and I've seen firsthand the destruction and degradation that financial capital and the current global industrial agriculture and industrial you know mining and timber and extractive enterprises can do. I've seen you know I've flown over the Aral Sea and seen it shrinking away. Um, I've seen different places all over the world. Um, where Roundup and Tillage has just destroyed the soil. And so I, I get this sort of rejection of money, rejection of financial capital, rejection of corporate structures. And I think that money and financial capital isn't evil. In fact, Bill Mollison writes this right in The Designers' Man. He says, money itself is not intrinsically evil. And we can actually be happy with our use of money if we put it to work towards earth and human and social and cultural regeneration and restoration. And so I think that the most exciting edge within permaculture and within the environmental world right now is actually the business edge. It's actually the idea of starting enterprises that are financially profitable that also repair or restore the ecosystems and the human systems around them. And there's been a big growth in this out in the world, in the whole world of social enterprise, which is great. And I think we are lagging a bit behind in the eco-enterprise realm. And even more than either of those, what we really should be doing is designing eco-social enterprises that can grow and develop multiple forms of capital at the same time. I think eco-social enterprise is one term for it, but really what this book is about is understanding the concept of a regenerative enterprise. And I think that based on the eight forms of capital, we can start to see what would a regenerative enterprise be. And so we lay out a series of characteristics of a regenerative enterprise. I've touched on them but I'll just I think it's worth laying them out here again. One of them is that a regenerative enterprise must develop the four nurture capitals. So it's got to work towards growing living capital, social capital, spiritual capital, and cultural capital. And one of the primary ways that a regenerative enterprise does that is by transforming financial capital into living capital. So it's taking flows of money, even if they're maybe not the most wholesome flows of money, and taking them and putting them into the earth. So that can be a permaculture business that's going out and planting, like Appleseed does, planting hundreds or thousands of fruit and nut trees every year. Not all of our clients got their money from the most wonderful things in the world, but we're putting it into wonderful things through the development of permaculture landscapes and permaculture enterprises, especially you know farm enterprises that work with permaculture to actually develop livelihoods for people. And Mark Shepard says the exact thing in in his book, Restoration Agriculture. Um, He says, if you're degrading the ecology, then you're degrading the economy. And on the other hand, if you can restore the ecology of a place, you will restore the economy. And I think that's a a key goal and principle to work with when developing, and looking towards developing a regenerative enterprise. Two other pieces of regenerative enterprise. One has to do with the internal side of things. So it's all well and good to talk about permaculture landscapes and doing stuff externally. But I believe one of the reasons that the world is in such rough shape right now is because the human beings who are making decisions and managing the world are walking around with a huge amount of pain and wounds from various things growing up in this oppressive uh, current society. And so I think that it's actually... Imperative to heal and regenerate our internal landscapes in order to achieve external regeneration. In fact, I don't think it's possible to really regenerate living, social, cultural capital out there in the world if I'm not also doing it in myself and if you are not also doing it in yourself. And there's many different ways to approach this, but it's got to happen if you're actually going to have a regenerative enterprise in any way shape or form
0: whether that's some form of a spiritual path or co-counseling or traditional therapy or whatever path someone has to walk down in order to find themselves and feel whole that work is as important to the rest of the external work
1: yeah i completely agree and i think especially the forms of peer-to-peer counseling and peer-to-peer support and growth and development really, really important because they step away from the traditional hierarchical structures of therapy. And they just, you know, they breed a collaboration within our community, within our network and movement, that's going to be useful in the potentially difficult times to come. And I think a spiritual path can be very, very healthy and useful for people. And I think I want to point out that it can't just be a spiritual path. I've seen too many people attempting to transcend the realities of their their own life and behavior and what's going on around them and just head off into a blissful, easy, wonderful place. And that's not enough. We've gotta be dealing with our shit, our ugly stuff and healing and, and repairing our relationships uh, with ourselves, with each other in order to get external regeneration. So yes, spiritual path is great. And I don't think it's enough.
0: There's a a book and it's something like Enlightenment, Now the Laundry. And it's about that balance between the heady kind of spiritual space that we can find ourselves in versus the reality of still being a member of society and a part of a solution.
1: Yeah, I haven't read that book, but that makes sense to me. Yeah, enlightenment and then plant a permaculture landscape (laughs) would be great. I think one other part of... Really, actually, one of the most important factors of a regenerative enterprise is that we take on this, this basic principle that's been developed, in permaculture of mimicking ecosystems. And this is one of the most amazing things. As we were writing this book and thinking about a regenerative enterprise and reflecting back on our experiences starting enterprises, starting businesses, we realized that if we're going to create a regenerative enterprise and if we're going to mimic ecosystems, then we have to stop thinking of enterprises as alone, as single individuals out there in a void, in a vacuum. Individual enterprises have to be seen as organisms inside of a larger ecosystem. And so it turns out that it's actually very, very, very difficult, maybe even impossible, to have a quote-unquote regenerative enterprise alone. It has to be networked. It has to be consciously designed and woven into an ecology of other enterprises. So we call those in the book regenerative enterprise ecologies. And these are are networks. These are clusters of businesses. These are groups of enterprises that consciously collaborate and design together to optimize for the production of multiple forms of capital. It's really hard for a single business to grow all eight forms of capital. It's a lot of work. It's maybe too much to ask. But if you can get your enterprise engaged in connecting with other enterprises, right, and co-designing, each of those different enterprises can focus on developing a different form of capital, right? So one enterprise might develop living capital. Another might develop intellectual, experiential capital. Another might focus on growing material and financial capital that feeds the whole thing.
0: Thank you, Ethan, for everywhere you've taken us with this idea of the eight forms of capital and regenerative enterprise. I think that we've touched on these concepts from a framework perspective very nicely in the way that people can apply this into their lives. As we draw this to a close, could you share with us the information about the carbon farming course for folks who would be interested in using these ideas of both the landscape and regenerative enterprise?
1: Totally. I think that this is one of the kind of core methodologies and some of the most exciting regenerative enterprises that I see starting to grow out there use scaled up carbon farming practices to actually produce food, to produce cleaner water, to grow things for their community and create a financial capital profit for themselves. So the carbon farming course is really the world's premier training in how can we grow food and farm in a way that takes carbon out of the atmosphere and puts it into the soil. And when we do that, there are all these multiple functions and benefits that happen because putting carbon into the soil actually increases the organic matter of the soil, which increases its fertility, its water holding capacity, its drought tolerance, and its productivity. So it's really a win-win for farmers to capture carbon. And at the same time, it has this global effect where we can capture a huge amount of carbon out of the air and put it into the soil. And that takes it out of the atmosphere and is a direct way to work against the climate chaos and the global warming that we're facing in a really serious way. So the next carbon farming course is coming up in February, 2015. It's in New York and it's got a whole array of workshops. You can come for the whole thing or just take individual workshops But the workshops that we have this year range from holistic management and grazing. So really the the best grazing practices. And we've got this awesome grazier, a guy named Greg Judy, who's a holistic management practitioner, has written a bunch of books. He's going to be out doing the holistic management part. We're doing key line farming. Um, There's a section on living soils with Elaine Ingham. There is a longer course that's on really on how to develop a carbon farming enterprise. And that's led by permaculture author Eric Tonsmeyer. And that's going to be a a really incredible course on not just, you know, the current science of carbon farming, but how do you actually design and develop a working business model that incorporates carbon farming. And then finally to cap it all off, you said you had Mark Shepard as a guest recently. He's going to lead a three-day workshop on restoration agriculture to kind of tie it all together, bring the permaculture design in, and share his experiences on his 100-acre farm in Wisconsin. A couple other great things happening during the course, especially around the interaction with financial capital. As you can see, the whole Eight Forms of Capital is really woven into our thinking about this course. There's a one-day conference that's called Financing Regenerative Agriculture. And that's going to be a participatory event with a bunch of quick presentations and lots of small group time and discussions about how do we get the financial capital flowing into living capital? How do we get financial capital to support and grow regenerative agriculture around the world?
0: For anyone who's interested in this, that sounds like a great opportunity to learn a lot about a broad range of topics under this umbrella. Now I'm going to have to figure out a way to make it to New York for that in February.
1: It'd be great to have you here. And we have a bunch of different ways for people to make it affordable for them in terms of financial capital. There's actually an affiliate marketing program where anybody you tell about the course who signs up on your recommendation, you get 10% of whatever they sign up for. So, you know, if you were able to sign up 10 people for the course for any one of these workshops, you could probably come to it for free. Or not quite for free, but you know we pay, we'd be paying you enough money from that 10% that you could you could come. So just using your social capital and spreading it through your social networks could be a way for you to make financial capital so you can come to the course.
0: And I will certainly share that opportunity with my listeners as this goes out. As we have just a few minutes left, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners?
1: I think that if you're enjoying what you're hearing on this conversation, then I really recommend that you take a look at the book. You can go to our website, eightforms.org, and you can order a hard copy or there's an option where you can give a gift of some amount you choose and download a PDF of the book. And I really want this, and my co-author Gregory and I really want this information out there. We want people working with regenerative enterprises, developing them, starting to figure out, you know, how we can create regenerative enterprise ecologies. So I really recommend that if you're interested in this, you check out the book at aforms.org. The other thing I'll say is that I'm not doing all this work alone. I'm part of a team and a network of so many different wonderful individuals and colleagues and mentors all over the world who are working on this. And so one of my mentors has just released a book that I'm super, super excited about. And it's called The Responsible Entrepreneur. I mentioned her earlier. This is Carol Sanford. And she's really one of the leading regenerative thinkers, I think, in the entire world. And her book, The Responsible
0: Entrepreneur,
1: really paints the picture in a very vivid way of what it can look like to work with multiple forms of capital, engage, you know, whole communities and all stakeholders through business to create positive eco-social change. So those are the two top books that I would recommend to anybody right now is Regenerative Enterprise that I wrote with Gregory Landway and The Responsible Entrepreneur with Carol
0: Sanford. Well, I will share that with everyone and include links in the show notes so all of that is easy to find. Thank you again, Ethan, for taking the time to sit down with me and have this conversation. Your work has been vital to the place where I've gone as a permaculture practitioner, as a podcaster, and now branching out into more of that social and cultural capital by reporting and sharing what's happening in the permaculture world. So thank you for the influence that your work has had on mine as much as the rest of the community.
1: My pleasure, I remember last time we did this interview, we got to talk a lot more and hear a lot more of your thinking. And
0: so I look forward to
1: interviewing again in the not so distant future to talk about various other things that's happening at Appleseed and in the other projects. So I hope I can be on again in not too long so we can have more of a conversation.
0: I certainly look forward to that.
1: Awesome, thanks a lot,
0: Scott. And that was Ethan Rowland. Where this material kind of unhinged me from the system that is was in understanding how much value there is in our non-financial capital and how appreciating someone's work doesn't need to be in the form of a direct financial exchange. The first thank you I ever got from this show was a box containing three bottles of my favorite hot sauce, secret aardvark trading company's habanero, or things like receiving an email from someone about how the podcast changed their life, or the time someone sent me pictures of ghost pipe flowers growing on their property not far from where I live. Now I know definitively where they are, and want to go visit to see them next year when they rise again, which adds to my own experiential and intellectual capital in my life, and with that plant directly. Something else I'm coming to understand, which I'll follow up on when the interview with Ethan's mentor Carol Sanford comes out in a few weeks, is about what my core abilities are as a permaculture practitioner. I'm not well-versed or skilled in marketing or raising financial capital. That's just not my thing. Where I'm good at is building other forms of capital, in particular social. I talk to people, make connections, and draw out the stories from others. That's where I find that my calling is. To make the other pieces of this work viable, I ask for help from others. I appeal to you, the listener, to support the show. I also leave the various ways to contact me out in the open, so I can give back what I've learned to you directly, to help you on your path. In the end, overall, there's a value exchange that occurs for everyone involved. I like that. I find that it changes the balance dynamic to be more equitable and fair for everyone who is a part of this process. With that understanding of strengths and weaknesses comes a certain introspection about the eight forms of capital that touches back on what Ethan said about building an ecosystem of businesses that support and grow one another. Some of us are really good at making money. Others are really good at teaching, design, implementing in the landscape, organizing, storytelling, and so on. As permaculture practitioners, let's come together and share our personal surpluses with one another so that we can help grow what it is we're doing. And I'm here to help connect you with the stories and voices that you might not hear otherwise, so you can find what works for you and get down to your work, to take what it is, as Mark Shepard reminds us, seriously. I want you to find and fulfill your calling so that you can live a life of abundance. Sometime, if you'd like, let's talk and make that happen. If you are in a place where you can assist someone else or I can assist you, let me know. Email show at the permaculturepodcast.com or call 717-827-6266. Together, we can build an abundant world for all life on Earth. Until the next time, take care of Earth, yourself, and each other.